Ara City Radio. Delano's Top of the Week. It's time for Delano's Top of the Week. Every Monday we have the folks from Delano in to talk about a topic that's in the news. We look at some events coming up in Luxembourg and then there's always a personal pick. And today, Cordula Schnur is back with us. Good morning, Cordula. Hi, how are you on um, this uh, Blue Monday? <laughs> Blue, what's Blue Monday? So, so Blue Monday is... Uh, it's this concept that came up a few years ago, and apparently it's the most depressing or the gloomiest day of the year. Oh, so great. The, two, the, the second <laughs> Monday of the year, there's some, some formula to calculate it, is, uh, is Blue Monday. That kind of makes sense, I guess. Everyone's kind of, you know, had the festive period, so it's like a... Yeah, know. Christmas lights are disappearing, but yeah. it's still grey and depressing. Yeah, it's always the weather. <laughs> uh, nice to have you back. It's been a while, so yeah, welcome back on the show. Thanks. Uh, um, what are we going to be talking about today? Luxembourg's parliament is back in session after the winter break, and... Uh, as we are about to talk about, it's going to be quite a busy period for MPs. Why so? So because we have elections coming up in October, um, it really means that um, any pending laws uh, that they don't vote before the summer break uh, risk being delayed. Um, and then obviously after the elections, we don't really know you know, how Parliament will be constituted. We don't know if maybe the, the majorities will shift. Um, so really also to for the government to implement and push through its coalition program that they signed in 2018, um, lawmakers need to kind of get as much through as possible. So there's going to be a, a rush to pass certain laws that um, if, you know, uh, the balance in Parliament changes after the elections might not have a chance of passing. Is that is that right? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's uh, for a lot of things you have, uh, you know, there's there's some items that are sort of rubber stamping. Um, there's, you know, for example, I don't know, double taxation agreements with a number of countries. And those usually are just, you know, uh, voted through very quickly. Um, but there are some some things that uh, that MPs might want to might want to get through with a majority that they still have. So how much are we talking? How much do you think they'll be trying to, to press through before the elections happen? So in principle, there are still 137 draft laws that are waiting for a vote. Um, and they are obviously, there are still more projects being submitted to Parliament. Um, and it's not unusual that there are some laws that, you know, the coalition parties... Um, uh, won't be able to vote on because it's quite a lengthy process. I mean, usually it, it takes at least six months normally for something to pass through Parliament. So it's not unusual for things to sort of get pushed into the next legislative period. Um, but for example, we have uh, one law that has been much debated recently is a reform of rent laws. Um, this lowers uh, deposit payments to two months rent instead of three. It splits the agency fees between the tenant and the owner, which right now the tenant pays in full. Um, and it also limits rent to 3% to 3.5% um, of the capital invested, down from previously five, um, depending on the property. And But there's been a lot of criticism of the text, and um, industry insiders have warned that it could lead to a decrease in investment, um, and also actually that it could result in rising rents for some properties based on how the capital invested is now calculated. Um, so it's, it's a very technical text that involves a lot of like different formulas and calculations, um, and there was criticism from within the government parties on this law. Um, so they introduced some changes last year. Um, and are now hosting this like industry meet in February where all the you know players are getting together. So there's still a ways to go for this law, but it's it's very much something that will, that came out of this coalition. This is interesting because I mean everybody knows how expensive it is to rent accommodation in Luxembourg. Is this a law designed to uh, kind of cap prices or or help uh, or maybe keep them stable rather than raising them, as you just said it might do? So one of the 
main aims of this law wasn't necessarily to to lower rents, um, but to create sort of legal frameworks, especially around um, sort of rooms that are being rented out. So that, for example, if you have a if you have a house with five bedrooms that you would normally get maybe I don't know, say two thousand five hundred euros of rent for, um, owners can currently rent out each of those rooms individually for say eight to nine hundred euros and make a lot more than if they had rented it out as a as one property um, so the law aims to also sort of put a curb on that um, and it creates new rules for flat shares that were previously fairly unregulated um, so it wasn't I think there's been some misunderstanding that this was meant to like actually lower rent which mm-hmm. isn't necessarily the case um, but yeah there's been there's been a lot of criticism. The state council still needs to submit a second opinion on the, on the draft law, and um, so so this is this is one of the ones that just sort of risks not going through, and then depending on on what the situation looks like after after the elections, might see either sort of more changes. Some of the parties have, have suggested that it should be scrapped entirely. Okay, um, and uh, do you think that? What's kind of public opinion like on this? Is this been, I mean, did might people know about this, or is it? Is it? Um, do you think there could be backlash if it does in, in in the end end up raising rent prices here on uh, properties in total? Yeah, I mean, I think so. The the issue of raising rent is mostly related to older properties um, because sometimes, so if you've lived in something for a very long time, um, you know, the the initial capital invested was maybe quite low, um, and tenants or owners don't always make use of uh, the right to raise rent in certain intervals. So there are some people who've lived in a property for an incredibly long time and pay very cheap rent compared to what you would pay for the same thing if you moved into it today. Um, And that was sort of the main worry that for those places, um, rent would actually be higher. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's quite a complicated law, and it and it faces a lot of a lot of steps. I mean, there are others that are still waiting. So, for example, the the sort of partial legalization of recreational cannabis that is also still pending. Um, there's uh, raising the school age from 16 to 18, the mandatory school age. That's still going through Parliament. Um, and and how many steps yeah. are there that that kind of each law has to pass? How many steps of voting does it go through before it's put into law? So there's there's only one vote in Parliament, mm-hmm. um, but usually once when a when a law gets submitted, it needs to go to um, committee. Uh, so there there's a number of committees in Parliament. So for example, for this rent reform law, it would be the Housing Committee. Um, it needs to be discussed there. Then there needs to be a series of opinions submitted. For example, by the the Chamber of Commerce, um, the Human Rights Committee, um, any kind of organisation that is relevant to the particular law, um, and but the most important one really is the opinion of the the Council of State, um, which is kind of Luxembourg's like upper chamber. Um, the members of the council aren't elected; they are appointed to the council by the parties represented in Parliament, based on a kind of representative system. Um, is that kind of like the House of Lords in the UK? Is it a similar thing? It, sort of, um, but yeah, as I said, the, the members are they're they're appointed, mm. and um, they also don't really vote on the law. So okay. what they do is they they compile um, uh, an opinion. Most of the, or the, the sort of biggest function that they have is to check that all of the laws that go through Parliament are in compliance with Luxembourg's constitution and other laws, international treaties. Um, but it also looks for sort of le- like uncertainty, legal unclarities, um, formulations that are maybe a bit, you know, unclear. Um, and it can then also issue um, 
sort of the strongest opposition would be it's called a opposition formelle, sort of formal opposition, um, and usually that means it, that changes have to be made. Um, so if the, if the state council doesn't give the green light, the law generally won't get to pass parliament. Um, so in the case of this rent law, for example, there were significant changes made after a first draft, um, which means that the state council now also has to submit a second opinion. Um, we don't really know when that's going to happen, um, but it also means that until that opinion is there, the law is kind of stuck in a way, um, because usually that opinion is then also used as a sort of basis to to continue uh, talking and negotiating. Okay, well, um, it'll be interesting to see what does happen with that law, and uh, a busy time in Parliament for Luxembourg's MPs. Uh, I'm going to play a track now, uh, and then when we come back, we can look at some events that you've picked up for people. Sure. That's Lumi. And then you on everything could have been on our city radio. We're back in the studio with Cordula from Delano. And right now we're going to look at some events that she's picked out for listeners to look forward to in Luxembourg um, this week. What have we got up first, Cordula? Well, my first event is actually tonight. Um, so January 16th, um, the American violinist Joshua Bell is performing at the Philharmonie with the Academy of St. Martin in the Fields. Um, he's also the, the music director of the Academy and he's a, he's a very renowned violinist. And yeah, they're playing tonight. There's still some tickets available. So exactly, you can head over there to okay. Great catch. if you want to catch some uh, nice classical music tonight. To, to beat gloomy Monday. Yeah. <laughs> um, and up next, an exhibition. So there's an exhibition at Neumünster, which starts on the 19th, so a bit later in the week, um, which is called We Can Have It All, Do Fembots Still Have Time for a Burnout? All and right. it's kind of a... It's a bit of a playful look by two uh, female artists, Nora Koenig and Anne Simon, who are sort of looking at this idea of women, you know, having it all, having the career and a family um, and, and the toll that takes. And how long is that one running? So that is running until the 26th of February. So there's plenty of time to see it. Um, That's yeah. Abbey Neumünster. Exactly. All right. And finally, what have we got? Something at Muda. On Sunday, so on the 22nd of January, there is a lecture at Mudam from 3 o'clock called Art, Bureaucracy and Hope of Resistance, um, which is given by Vid Simonisi, who is a lecturer in philosophy at the University of Liverpool. And the talk kind of considers how artists, how different artists and writers um, have treated bureaucracy in their art um, and uh, sort of put up some some resistance to it um, and how to sort of beat beat the system in a okay. way through through art that's interesting actually there's an artist I think she I think the exhibition might still be up she's um, um, exhibiting in the, the kind of annex part of of Mudam that's over the little glass bridge and her exhibition um, focuses on all of the paperwork that asylum seekers have to do to, to live in Germany and it's like kind of breaks it down to like the minute detail Maybe it's related. Something yeah, the, so this this talk is in relation okay. with, with that exhibition by uh, Sung Tu, I think she's exactly. called. Exactly, yeah. 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 Oh, great. Um, well, I guess that one you'll need to book in advance to attend. Uh, yes, so yes. it's uh, 10 euros per person, five for students or people who have a culture pass, and um, you can find that on modem.com. Brilliant. Okay, we're going to finish things off with a personal pick from you, and... Yeah, so, well, I bring two personal picks today, but one of them is really just a shameless self-promotion. Okay. <laughs> because on uh, Delana, we're launching a new um, sort of politics weekly. Uh, so every Friday, uh, we take a look at some of the um, top headlines of the week, look at what was going on in Parliament, um, also cover some of the news that perhaps didn't really make make the headlines, the front page news. Um, and yeah, we're launching that on Friday. Okay. Um, and then my, my 
my actual tip. And not, is that on, that on, on the website? Though? Yeah, so that will be on Delano Lou. You'll, you'll find it in the newsletter. Um, that's a new weekly feature that we're launching. Um, okay. And then my, my proper uh, tip is a book called Africa is Not a Country by Deepu Faloyin. What's this one about? Who is, uh, so he's a British-Nigerian uh, author. He writes for Vice and a bunch of other publications. And um, he sort of takes a, a, a look at some of the stereotypes that sort of haunt Africa as a continent uh, and also the countries uh, within it. And um, so, for example, looking at, you know, sort of charity campaigns um, and poverty porn, white saviorism, but also the restitution of artworks. Um, and he sometimes takes quite a sort of snarky, sarcastic tone, but then there's also um, a lot of really insightful um, sort of history of colonization and the, the long-term impact that that had on, on the countries, um, also after their independence, on nation-building, how kind of communities, kingdoms and geographies were sort of randomly divided up. Um, so I found it really... Yeah, just a really insightful. So even if you even if you're well aware that Africa is not a country, <laughs> um, it had a lot of uh, yeah, just insightful commentary and and um, uh, knowledge and um, yeah, I, th- I really I really enjoyed reading that and got through it very quickly. Great, that's Africa is not a country by Deepo Faloyin. Exactly. All right, uh, I'll include a link to that on uh, the recording of this that we're going to put up on our website afterwards. Um, Claude, um, thank you so much for coming in. <laughs> I nearly called you Claudia. Cordula. <laughs> Cordula, thank you so much for coming in and talk to us again. Uh, it was nice to have you back on the show. Thanks and for having me. We'll have either you or one of your colleagues in next week for another Top of the Week. Looking forward to it. Cheers. <laughs>